Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome my fellow therapist friend, Ramona. In addition to being a mental health counselor, Ramona is also a yoga instructor, dance and sacred movement teacher, and an energy and Reiki worker. Ramona's practice is called Therapy to Evolve, and she truly has a beautiful focus on the evolution of the human being and how the evolving process involves the unraveling of dysfunctional behavior in addition to the expansion into one's full self. We have a very exciting conversation where we relate to one another about working in the therapeutic realm, the different modalities and tools that we pull from with our clients. And we also explore different concepts like the wounded masculine feminine, the rage experience, and how we're finding balance between the ideas that we have about the masculine and feminine and how we on the individual and the societal level are experiencing and moving into that state of evolution from where we've been to where we want to go. It's a great conversation. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hello, Ramona, and welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hello. Such a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Pleasure to have you. Thank you for being on the show. Ramona, you and I first met a few months ago on the summer solstice out Mm -hmm. in Bolinas. That's right. Yeah. It was a very cloudy overcast day on the solstice, but it was (laughs) beautiful and refreshing. And our friend Carly, who's also a guest on the podcast, she -hmm. brought together an amazing group of women and we had a pretty incredible time. Yeah. I think that was one of my favorite nights of the summer, like favorite days, favorite events of this summer, just a small gathering of really, you know, potent women together on this potent day. (laughs) Ah, And we just like ate amazing food out in her beautiful garden. And then we had that ceremony at night, right on the cliff by the ocean. Mm -hmm. It was just gorgeous. Lots of dancing. Mm -hmm. So I knew that we were definitely kindred souls and spirits and Mm -hmm needed to connect. And we have since then, and it's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit. And we also have in common that we're both therapists. We're both mental health therapists. Yes. Who are both (laughs) also seeking to kind of expand from there and see how we can move from therapy to maybe incorporating some other different modalities and different forms of spirituality Mm -hmm. into our work. Yeah. And I think we're both still trying to figure out what that looks like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's vast. It's a big, it's a, it's a deep dive of knowledge and yeah. But in the meantime, you're sitting pretty with your own practice that you've had for a while and you are in the East Bay and you've been there for a few years now. Yeah. So I, my practice is actually based in both in New York city, well, New York state and California. I've lived in the East Bay. I live in Oakland now for about four years. I moved here from New York. And when I moved here, I kept my practice up in New York. So I am licensed there for anyone who's listening and interested, (laughs) licensed both in New York and California. And right now, I mean, just with this pandemic, but possibly even post pandemic, I'm working mostly online with telehealth. So I'll be available with anyone 
particularly in these two states since I'm licensed. But yeah, I live in I live in the East Bay. Wonderful. And what is the the focus of your work right now? You know, what is your what would you say that your practice is based on? What what do you tend what kind of clients do you tend to mostly attract? So uh, my practice is called Therapy to Evolve, and I was very um, deliberate when I named it. You know that I didn't want to be like Ramona Mukherjee therapy or something because. I I felt very clear that there was a vision and a mission that I have around the therapy being an entry point. Like people come in because they've got these symptoms, clinical symptoms, depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, which are all things that I work with. And we use that as the doorway to just start the conversation of knowing the self. And then through that, we evolving out of these patterns, whether they're depressive or anxious, uh, anxious thought systems or depressive bodily habits, however these mental illnesses live in the body, we're going to get acquainted with it and then evolve beyond that as, you know, the definition. So many people come in like, I'm I'm just this anxious person and I'm miserable and I need help and why can't I get over myself or why do I always do the same thing or am I ever going to be happy? I just think I'm an unhappy person, you know, then they get really identified with it. The people I like to work with are the ones who notice this, know that they have this thing, they want to work it out, but they've also got some deeper inclination or drive to know themselves beyond it and, and uncover that. Absolutely. And I, I just have this visual of sort of, I mean, that's essentially what therapy is or any growth process. Evolution is the shedding of, in a sense, the shedding of the old and the growing into the new. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's both. And I think that people often come into therapy and just want to think about, okay, I just want to get beyond this. I want to get past these things. I want to be this new evolved person. And they don't always want to recognize that part of evolution, just as much as growing forward is moving on from tendencies in our past. Right. Mm-hmm. We, I think a lot of people want to believe that they can just walk away from their past and then it will be gone. Yet, as we learn through as therapists, our our time stays with us in a lot of ways. We're affected by what happens to us. We hold these experiences and, and the strong emotional traumas. And in order to evolve, you, you have to, as you say, sort of unravel the dif- dysfunctions that we often develop around those events. It's not always even just the event. It's what the defunct- dysfunctions that are developed around it unhealthy coping skills or just tendencies that you don't even recognize you're doing that are self-defeating and self-destructive. Yeah. It's so often the reaction. It's, it's the reaction to the reaction, which creates this large chain of reactions, but you know, we have an event or an incident, it leaves an imprint. And so there's that imprint that is there in our system and it might be causing some distress or it's uneasy or I'm upset. And, and, and then what happens is we sort of leave that and go into the, why am I so upset about this? How could I possibly be? What is wrong with me that I am this upset about this thing? Like, why can't I just get over it? Then it's like, so that's reaction number one to the reaction. Reaction number two is like, oh my God, I'm always like brooding about things or I'm always ruminating or maybe for someone else, it's like, you know, whatever. Like I, I, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen and get very stiff, stiff lipped and tight about like, I'm going to go work out really hard or I'm going to, you know, get really perfectionistic about something else. That's still a reaction to a reaction to a reaction, right? So now we're so far from our center and so far from the core of ourselves and the core of what the wound was 
it's exactly what you said. We've developed all these layers and we're just kind of flailing about in these really fragile layers and always aware that it feels sort of fragile and totally um, kind of haunted by that, yeah. you know, because there's this feeling like it's all going to fall apart any second because it could, because it's fragile. It's a fragile ego, <laughs> egoic state, right? And um, what we want to do, just as you said, or just as we're talking, is we want to kind of like come right back into that center, which means we have to unravel all those layers of reaction to reaction to reaction. Yeah. Um, we have to dismantle. We have to dissolve. That's usually painful. And from there, we create the space for the new emergence. Um, and it's yeah. so important to do that because as long as we're not getting back to that core, to ourselves, we use things outside of ourselves to fixate on, to place the blame on. You know, if you have something that's hurting inside, it's it's much easier to fixate on something outside of you and say, well, this is the problem. The problem is this external thing. It's because I don't have this, the success that I wanted, or this thing is wrong with me physically. I have a lot of clients who get physical preoccupations where they will have this, you know, this fear about a certain way they look or, you know, something about them physically. And it, it usually is always an indication of wanting to kind of find something to say, this is the problem. If this could just be fixed, I'd be okay. I wouldn't be so down on myself. I wouldn't, you know, have such, such struggles in re- relation or whatever it is. But, you know, whenever we find ourselves doing that, it's it's an indication that there's something, there's an epicenter of that. You know, it's always, there's a, a source that this is coming from that's sort of sending out these messages that you can find outside. Yeah. So already like looking outside of yourself is already a, let's call it, you're, you're going to have a harder time trusting it in a way, because, you know, like if you, if you, it's like, if I have to touch myself and see what my temperature is, that's one thing. But if I'm going to touch myself with like three layers of gloves on, like I won't be able to trust how I'm feeling the temperature. Right. Cause there's these, there's all these layers, these things in between me and myself right now. So how can I trust it? If I kind of know that that's happened, like maybe not consciously, but unconsciously, we know that something of that's going on what do I mean when I say that? Okay. You know, like I work with clients sometimes, I see this a lot in relationships where the trigger, something happens that we get triggered by a partner and there's, it's a core wound that got triggered, right? What's happening is the part, the person is like, well, why do you have to do this? Why did they have to do that? Why did they have to say that thing? Why don't they know? Like, why do they have to be like that? That it, and, and the folk, the emphasis went outside to partner, like they did something wrong that wronged me. What's being revealed in that moment is like, whatever they did, whether they meant to or not, the wound is in you. And that's what we want to bring light and love and healing and compassion to. And we have to help our partner understand and help us through that process. That's what couples therapy will help with. The original wound, it's like a revelation of what's happening within you, right? Yeah. So many things like that, that are a wound inside of us. We'd rather try and control the environment around us to avoid the things that will elicit pain from that wound rather than trying to heal the wound itself. Right. And I feel like that's what you're kind of describing is, you know, if someone, if we have a partner or friend who makes a comment or says something and we can say, if you, this was your fault that I'm so upset because you said this thing, but, and, and of course there are hurtful things that someone can say that we'd prefer not to be subjected to yet it it can be a gift because it can we don't always know our wounds 
You know, we don't always, they can be very dormant and it's a gift when something really comes in and just, push, just lights it up because then we can say, wow, this is something's there. You know, there's something there when somebody says this thing about me or when somebody makes this kind of remark or comment, why am I having this reaction? Why is there so much of a, a charge around this? And that's valuable. And people get caught up in the event itself and get so upset that it happened and that it caused them such distress. But the gift of therapy is recognizing where, where can we see the value of this? Where can we look at the inquiry and see how that can lead you to a place where what if one day you didn't have this strong reaction because you start to heal a little bit about whatever caused you to be so upset in the first place. And I feel like maybe this all sounds a little nebulous. I hope it's making sense that we're kind of getting to the idea of everything really comes from within everything. And the fixation on external is really just that it's a wanting to have something tangible and actionable that we can do where emotions are hard to work with. As we know, as therapists, it's very loose and, and it's very flowy. It's very watery, right? Our emotions, you know, that as a cancer, you're a water sign, very emotional, you know, and so it's not tangible. And so we spend so much time in an emotional state when we work in therapy and it's challenging for clients. Cause at a certain point, sometimes they're like, oh, there's, am I making any progress? There's nothing that I can do. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of the dichotomy between masculine and feminine energy, where I think there is a tendency towards masculine approaches because it feels like solid and something you can actually, you know, see and do. Whereas the feminine is more based in that sort of watery emotional essence, which you just sort of have to trust and work with and not always have an actionable process. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I, as you're talking, I'm also, I'm just reminded of uh, something that I read, which so there's masculine and feminine sort of in, in terms of, you know, like sun, moon, yin, yang, kind of these qualitative mm-hmm. states. We talk about masculine and feminine, Shiva and Shakti. It's like, it's not so clearly defined. There are these kind of um, maybe states of being or states, ah. states right? So, but, um, but in terms of the more gendered, like male, female in, in, a, in a heteronormative society, like the one that we live in, but just largely designed by patriarchy. <laughs> um, I chuckle like that because I, it's just so problematic that there's so much that can be said there, <laughs> but I'm going to just stick this one we thing. We can go there. Uh, yeah. Well, I read the statistic about also like that boys, it was like in, in, in high school, um, boys oftentimes just assumed a level of confidence. Like they just, uh, they just have just by being, by the sake of being, put in the category of boys, you know, generally speaking, they would exhibit greater levels of confidence. Whereas what girls were exhibiting was probably a more realistic sense actually of what was like, it wasn't that they were lacking confidence, but they just had a realistic sense of like what I know and what I don't. And like studies, the studies show that the girls actually did wait, had higher grades, were more successful in that like, um, realm of whatever school grading metric, but did not have like those higher levels of confidence. It was the boys that just had it by the virtue of being, you know, boys. And I, I'm just thinking like, again, it just, it's another layer with the masculine and feminine thing because there's how to, and by the way, I'll, I'll make some space. Cause I don't, I don't know if this is really on trend with where we're going, but I just read this this morning. So you can edit it out, but I, <laughs> just, um, I, 
I just think it's so fascinating because that directed thing that you're describing, like a masculine, feminine, as I get to know these things more, you know, like I think the feminine can be incredibly directive, actually, if she, if I think it's not necessarily that that's not there. It's just become like this very masculine or male trait because there's like this immediate sense of leadership that that goes with that overconfidence that just goes with that system that says that you can do it and those ones can't. I don't know how that lands and we don't have to follow that thread, but um no, I think that's that's an important exploration. I mean, I know that we're both really interested in I think the exploration of the divine feminine, the return of the divine feminine. Is, would you say that's part of your work? It is. Yeah, very deeply. I mean, I'm kind of going back to the first part of your question like what do you do? Yes, I'm I'm a psycho I'm a trained psychotherapist, you know, and I work with depression, anxiety, grief, trauma and and couples. But like the bigger part of what I do and the deeper part of my journey is that like there's a very deep spiritual inclination very much in a, you know, a, a yogic particularly goddess uh, like shakti driven kind of um path. But and uh, um I really have found myself in this place of like looking like masculine, feminine, the divine feminine. I mean, I'm in a place right now where the more I get to know her, the less defined I like anything really is. It's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's hard to, I'm starting to find like, it's harder to have these very clear distinctions between what is like feminine and what is masculine because it's all really one <laughs> as you go deeper into the practice. But yes, the return of the feminine, the divine feminine, you know, how, I guess one of the ways that I'm seeing that or one of the ways that I'm really working with that is still in the dismantling. I'm in the dismantling of the patriarchy. Like for me, what I see is in order for her to emerge in her fullness, there's dismantling that has to happen. We all have so much internalized patriarchy. Um, and that's probably what I look at a lot. And when you say patriarchy, what are you referring to specifically? What do you have in your mind when you think about dismantling the patriarchy? What is that? What kind of blocks are we just to kind of share? Yeah. So the internal, like, so when I work with women where we see this is obviously a, a big one is how we relate to our menstrual cycle, uh, feeling like bogged down, feeling like it's gross, feeling like it's a hassle, feeling like it's a curse. Why do we have to deal with it? Like there's one piece of it is that, um, a lot of the body image stuff that happens. Uh, one of the big things I've been exploring is rage and anger because I personally have a, a lot of experience around suppressing my own anger and feeling like it was just like this ugly thing that I was not to express. And that when I was, I didn't have the same availability to express it because I was a girl and to, I just was scared of it because I just thought it was just this scathing detrimental um, emotion that just shouldn't be allowed for anyone, but especially not me as a, as a sort of, gentle and, and sort of wise, you know, caretaking woman. So that to me is like, it, it, that's an internalized patriarchy because actually there's so much, so much of my nur nurturing and nourishing power comes in, in my capacity to be, you know, angry because that's going to make sure that the people I care for don't get hurt. But a younger version of me might've had a hard time 
expressing anger at, at, at a, in a bullying situation because I was afraid of the anger. So I would rather allow the bully to say whatever they would to me, which is harmful, right? Like I wasn't, uh, so um, things like that, that's how I see internalized patriarchy, you know, like the, there's a certain things that are allowed for women. There's a kind of loathing, I think a lot of uh, a self-loathing that women live with and that there's a loathing for the woman or the feminine that even men live with that is part of their internalized patriarchy that is part of their wounding they poor things have to then and i'm i guess i'm speaking also in this very heteronormative way i think i love learning more about the the culture and and consciousness of the non-binary you know um like i think that's the most uh, that's the highest of the heights out there because there's a certain freedom when you're in, that's the full union of masculine and feminine, right? Is when there's no separation. They're, they're, yeah, they're united. But for men, I think the internalized patriarchy, like they are hardly, they're not getting to tap into their own selves as like deeply divinely feminine and wise in that way. And they only are, they, they're experiencing like one, there's a small percentage of, the women in their lives because they're only wanting to see what is like, what fits within that norm. Yeah. You know, I speak often through my work with, with women waken, I clarify that it's not necessarily just, it's not about women at all. That's just an easy title. It's something that you can use so that people understand, you know, sort of what you're focusing on yet, you know, feminine is, is, is energetic and it is something that both sexes have. Right. And I feel like what you're describing is that we, because when I think of the patriarchy, it's something that we've sort of boxed up and said, this is what masculine domination is. This is what a masculine run society looks like. And it's the most effective and it's the most efficient and it's the most innovative and it's most prone to profit and growth and the way a society needs to be run. And we, we see that as masculine and therefore we see masculine as being, having sometimes a negative connotation. That that is a very wounded masculine driven. It's the wounded masculine, not necessarily the true or divine masculine. Right. And then, you know, there's the same women sort of boxed idea of, you know, the matriarchy and what that would look like. And that it's, it's the people who raise families and those who are sort of keepers of the, the home, which neither, I mean, both of those are wonderful aspects of our society, you know, creating and then keeping both are needed. You, you go out and you innovate and then you, you know, build your roots. Yet I think we don't see it within us. We see it as something outside of us and we see it as this bigger box we have to fit into. And when we see it that way, we don't feel a part of, right. We feel like just sort of lumped into it. And that's where I think the biggest separation comes between masculine and feminine is, well, this is what I must belong to. And this is what this is rather than Oh, where do, where do I find myself in between these two places? And what do I create as my masculine and feminine rather than saying, well, because I'm, you know, identify as a woman, I, I must be this, as you said, sort of submissive woman that doesn't really have rage or anger. Cause that's not what I've been told a woman is supposed to do. And as a male, well, I show up as, you know, this, this masculine man, because, and I don't have a lot of expression of emotions. I don't really have many feelings because that's what I've sort of been told. So th that's what I sort of picture when we talk about like the patriarchy and what we're trying to shift. And it's not so much any 
it's not an inherent issue in terms of qualities of men and women. It's sort of the, the facade we've created around. Yeah. The it's, a, it's like a social system that's been created, but it's been around for so long that it's like penetrated so deeply into the folds of our consciousness that like, it's hard to know. Yeah. You know, it's hard to see it as a system outside of ourselves, but it is, it's a system. It's an organizing principle. It was, it made sense at a particular moment in time that had to do with sort of property and wealth accumulation. Yeah. And it goes back for centuries, you know, I mean, it's always been about, you know, conquer and gain power and wealth and prestige. Um, but I think the thing that drew me the most to the concept of the divine feminine is that within that is the idea of sovereignty. And to me, when people really start looking within themselves, the inner world within rather than the world without and let themselves sort of decide who they are and how they show up in the world and how they express themselves, things change rather than looking out of ourselves to tell us, oh, this is how I can act. And this is the role that I'm in. And there's no room to, you know, shift that because just as bringing us back to your focus in your work evolve, you know, Mm -hmm. we're always evolving as a species. And the next step, I believe, is where we do let these walls come down as far as the structure of the patriarchy and the ideas about around the matriarch and really start to redefine what that means and how we can all work together and have the experience of both in a really beautiful way that we've never really known. And that's evolving. But again, just as we talked about, you have to unravel and dismantle the way things are in order to grow into the way things are going to be. You know, everything's always the micro and the macro, right? The the, the bigger scale is always just a, a larger demonstration of the individual experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I love that about therapy because it's like you're seeing the whole evolution of society within one person. They're struggling to accept themselves. They're struggling with their past. They're struggling with the way they think they should be versus who they really are and what they really feel. And I think that's how we feel as a society at large. Yeah, and that's where... You know, sometimes I think that it, the profound gift of therapy is like it is it's a smaller scale on a scale. It's smaller because you're working individually one by one with with the people you're working with. But there's this kind of sometimes I think like that it is also where I see uh, some of the, the social activism happening, because if you can help, you know, some of these individuals through this stuff, they become profound agents for change themselves because if they're doing these works the work on the micro level as you say like then they're affecting the change on the macro level in their own ways ideally i mean that's that's maybe that's idealistic but i think that's the way that change happens it's it's always made up of the billions of micros not the one macro it's all about the billions of micros that have to change and it is one and we think like well what, what does one person matter but we're we're the way we are today because a million different people decided to believe in the same things. And so we live our life the way that we do as a result of that, of beliefs that we built over the centuries, over hundreds of years, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, that's, I, I find it exciting. And I, I really connect with your idea of the focus of evolving in therapy because that's what's going to bring us obviously into this, a new era, a new time where we're not feeling so confined to there's one way to do it. We've got it set up. We're not going to change it. It's been around, works well enough. Some might say, I would beg to differ, but a lot of people feel like, ah, we've, we've got it figured out pretty good to how to run this joint. Yeah. I don't think no, so. I mean, falling apart pretty fast. <laughs> 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 basket pretty quickly. 
the environment in particular. But um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we're talking about some pretty big concepts, which is yes. awesome. But I do want to bring it down to one of the components of this, which you mentioned, which is rage and anger, because that's one strong example of where we're kind of stuck, right? Something we're looking to shed, which is rage and anger can can be very healthy in expressing it, but it can also be dangerous if it gets to the level of it's so pushed down and denied that rage, you know, people do destructive acts yeah, when yeah. they're raging yet mm-hmm. on a, you know, at a, at a healthy level, when you anger is a very natural emotion, right. And I feel like rage just comes when anger isn't allowed, isn't allowed, isn't allowed. And then it becomes that next level where it becomes rage. Well, I, I know I fully agree. And I would say I, I, I fully agree. Like when it's the rage is sort of the uh, reaction to the reaction. Again, something made me angry. I didn't get to express the anger. So I sat with it and it smoldered and it was underneath, underneath, underneath. And then it like exploded, you know, I do think that's, I think that's probably how rage might generally be how we might see it in, in, in the female or in the, in the, in the, in the person who has been oppressed and has not been able to express, you know, mm-hmm. I do feel like there's some people who are read more readily, like they do just like go into rages very quickly and easily. And it's not necessarily a suppressed sort of like cold thing that then erupted all of a sudden. And I'm, 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 so I'm pausing right now. Cause I'm wondering, I'm trying to listen mm-hmm. in for how I understand that. But I, I think my sense of that is again, it's, that's also its own kind of trauma. Usually the people who fly off the handle more quickly is also because they have, probably absorbed some pretty serious trauma that they're either conscious or, or have buried into the unconscious realms. And so if the trigger happy and they can fly into rages, they can come down from the rage really quickly. I, I can think of some people that I know just even in my family or, you know, that can fly off and come back down. And there's a way where it's like a valve was released. They got it out. It was scathing. They almost have no sense of how scathing or scary it was, but then they come down and they're just kind of like, what? And this is the, and then you have people who where you then add things like substances and whatever and things that can sort of amplify or or do whatever it does to it that takes it to a next level of danger. But yeah, so I'm just I'm just I'm making these definitions for myself and for us in terms of the degrees I think of rage and and anger and how we feel it because I think each of these things that I've described, like as you described it and as I've described it, like we still see how it's sort of placed in this scary, like something's wrong and the ra- and then it comes out in rage. Something went wrong, you know, something, or, or the anger was wrong in the first place, which is why we didn't express it. And then it had to come out in rage or the rage just happened, but then it was bad or it was destructive. And oftentimes, I mean, legitimately destructive. Someone got hurt. Property was destroyed. Something, right? One of the how we how we relate to it so that it's actually we can extract like the raw, pure sort of potency at the source of that anger or rage because there's something there that is incredibly powerful. I think in this dismantling, sometimes dismantling of the things that we need to just get out of our own way so that we can be who we are. So I said a lot there, but, uh, you know, just those, I agree with you that 
rage. I, I wanted to make those three, dis, these distinctions of how we end, like there's anger, there's rage, there's rage that comes from suppressed anger. There's rages that come, that don't feel like they're so, it seems like it's the person's personality, but is it, you know, no, I mean, there was probably something there still buried. Yeah. We want to look at and how do we get to that? Yeah. Get to and allow for it because, and here's the other problem is that we condemn rage. You know, if people get really angry and do horrible things, we don't come to them and say, you must be really hurting. Let's, let's see what's going on here. How can we help you? We vilify them. We condemn them out of our societies. And then other people see that and they say, oh my gosh, I better never be angry because if I get rageful, I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to get rejected. And, and that shows up in so many ways. It's so many ways people, we just, we don't allow for certain things. And I think there's a difference between not condoning something and condemning it. You know, you don't have to condone a crime, but when you condemn it, the, that sounds like we're condemning the human and your, our actions are not who we are. It's something, it's something that we did, but what we do is not who we are. Yeah. And, you know, we, I see that a lot in therapy Well, people will, will spend many years of their lives feeling that something they did just defines who they are and they can't get over it and they can't let it go. Yeah. And so that connection can, can be very detrimental because again, if people think that if they have this one time where they're, they've just had too much, they've been through too much and their rage comes out and they do something that they would never normally do. And people, they feel unforgivable. Mm-hmm. So I just find that, I always find that concerning, you know, sort of the idea of being canceled or being condemned because that doesn't leave space for forgiveness and acceptance and for rehabilitation. Yeah. So it leaves us in fear of being, of having rage, which again, anybody can experience when they're just, it's been, when there's just been too much going on or something that just really, really hits a nerve for them. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned that's something you're sort of focusing on. So would you want to share a little, what your experience has been with rage and ex- expressing that and how it's been kind of how you've sort of made sense or progress with that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think this, this, this year and the culmination and uh, everything last year, this year, global pandemic, a lot of the movements of Black Lives Matter, just looking at like Asian Lives Matter. I mean, uh, you know, earlier this year, there were just, I think it all culminated and I found myself just in this place where I was just like, what? I, I, I don't know. I just started to notice that I was like getting a little bit eruptive. I was very irritable. I'm mean, also being a therapist in this era has been like, as I'm sure you can, you've also found like it's a tough time because we're here to su- provide support. I mean, but we're also going through it. We're also very much human. We're also very much like having our own stuff. Right. And then it's like, we have our own stuff and then we're supporting, you know, six or seven different people a day with their own stuff. And so by the end of the week, it's like, holy smokes. I know I, I sort of arrived at a place probably of some, some level of burnout, some level of just like, oh, yeah, like, oh, oh, I don't know why. Like I, I hit something, I hit some kind of level and, and it was hard. And I, what I kind of bumped up against was like really feeling and seeing and sensing how, you know, sometimes in the role 
that I play, and this is on me, I, I love my work and I love my clients, but I play this role of being this kind of like, I'll, um, I'll hold, I can hold this space, right? And I can remain, I can remain in my equanimity and I do, and I, I don't know, somehow when I get in my seat as a therapist, I absolutely do. That is total, you know, higher wisdom that comes through and I'm so grateful for it. But then in like the, the, the <laughs> just me version, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm stewing with so much. I'm stewing with a lot. And I kind of realized that that's a, that's a part, a part that I don't process very well. I hadn't learned yet how to process. I mean, I, I know all this stuff, movement, meditation, easy diet, all these things that we do to keep ourselves grounded and, you know, but I just realized that I had a lot of unprocessed anger and that it was something that I went for a long time without being very willing to look at because I felt so, um, because I was bound. I was in that box. I was just like so neatly just like tucked and, and kind of complacently almost in that box of like, no, I don't, I don't express like that. I don't do that. That's like not the thing that I do. That's the thing that other people do. That's the thing that the men do. That's the thing that other, like, I don't know, women that grew up in families. I, I don't know. Like, I think culturally I'm South Asian. Uh, there was some level of culture, like even feeling like, okay, like there's white women. There's like Germanic or Irish women are allowed to are allowed to be like these awesome radical warrior like women or and the Amazons, but that's like not 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 us Indian women, you know. No, nope, that's not what we do, or something like. There's so many layers of it: the culture, the gender, the whatever. And it really like I mean, it's it was like out of my control. I mean, I was seething. Like I would just sometimes be. I would you know just like. I don't know, be trying to send a text message and my phone wouldn't work. And I would literally be like, oh my God, <laughs> I would take the phone and like have to keep everything in my system from throwing it at the wall. And like, at least just throw it as forcefully as possible at the couch so that I wouldn't make a hole and I wouldn't break the phone. And, you know, but I was, I was just like, there was this period where it was like every other day I was wanting to, or, or even breaking things like, not, I mean, sometimes not purposely, just literally like, because I was, I like trembling with, with a lot of really fiery energy and like, you know, yeah, the glass bowls are falling out of my hands and shattering and like, you know, things like that. Like there are a lot of energy. What was this energy? And I just, all I knew is that I could feel it in a way that wasn't this particular, I'm so mad at such and such ex-partner. I'm so pissed off at the president or I'm so pissed off at this system or that person or my dad or my brother or my mom or my blah, blah, blah. It was just like, it was like, I could feel how it was like, this is not even about my personal story anymore. There's just this intense energy to this. And it was... I was, I felt a little crazy making about it at first, but as I sort of kept like noticing it and being with it, I realized like, this is just this very raw energy. It's, it's one that I've always been afraid of. I probably had never had the container. Like my body was not a, a strong enough container to hold that much, which it now is just because I'm healthier and have a lot of healthy practices in place. So I could begin to relate to it as like, whoa, it's raw, it's forceful, 
it is destructive, but not, doesn't have to be like a harmful destructive. This is that thing that I've been talking about. Like my, this is the dismantle. This is the energy that's necessary to dismantle, to break down, to obliterate the boxes of my mind or my whatever society, you know, it can get as big or as micro, as macro or as micro as I want, but whatever it is, I gotta like have a relationship with this energy. It's like a vital energy. And what I did was, which I highly recommend to anyone who's listening and to you, if you haven't done it before, but I, I booked a time slot at one at a rage room. They're called rage rooms. You can look, it's called break stuff, break stuff, Sacramento, break stuff, San Jose. I know they have them in California and I know they have them in New York and I'm sure they have them in other States too, <laughs> but these are the two that I've like looked into it. And, you know, in a very ritual way, I, I, I had a good friend of mine. I was like, well, you, can we do this together? We booked the time. It's basically like you book time in this kind of safe contained area where they give you, uh, you know, protective gear, eyeglasses, gloves, but you're in a room with a whole bunch of objects like electronics, like old printers and <laughs> laptops and all phones, things that you really want to destroy. You know, you get a certain number of objects, you get some, you get some glass bottles and for 30 minutes, you get to just make a playlist for yourself. You can do it 30 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, however long you want. I, you know, really sort of called on my like inner priestess self and you know we my friend and I set the stage we sort of saged ourselves before we went in we kind of set the intention of like let this be a clearing but let this be like a communion with this energy and I had like super drum drum trance drum kind of music going and we just like went for it you know and like annihilated some shit excuse my language you're like annihilated some stuff <laughs> you know and it was like breaking bottles baseball bats you know taking baseball bats to an, to old electronics and it's great because this is all stuff that he gets from recycling centers and it needs to be broken down anyway so <laughs> it's a huge win-win you know you get it's to win like, you know light out your your rage and you get to help break down the landfills exactly precisely <laughs> So, um, so, you know, exactly big win-win, but what was so powerful or like my deep, the lesson that I walked away with or the, 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 maybe a remembrance, like what I remembered, cause I had buried it, you know, in, from my own trauma and wounding was that there's this incredible and powerful, transformative, like vital force to, to our anger and when we can, so sometimes we need to go through our own narratives. We need to go through the stories. This thing happened to me and I am angry about it. Okay, that's a starting point. What was the thing that happened? Who did it? Who did it? What did I do? What did they do? What, blah, blah, blah. We got to do all that. Therapy is a beautiful space for that. But then, and you know, this, then we want to like really get into the somatics. You want to get into your body because it's all stored there. And it's somehow, um, probably the way it's stored and this is like the body keeps the score vessel van der Kolk's work with trauma is a really good uh, resource for getting to know this more but you know it's it's starting to like have a grip on your own vitality your own sense of vitality your own sense of power and capability but also just like force and impact like you have this huge 
way that you can impact the world around you. And it's usually when we buried our anger to the extent that it's buried and then has to come up and rage, it's because we're, we've buried our power and we've become afraid of it. So we've associated it with this destructive thing that will harm. And it, while it is a destructive energy, let's say destructive in the sense of like, it has this capacity to dissolve or dismantle something that probably shouldn't be there if we, get, if we can be a little ref, refined in our awareness and our, our communion with it. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that whole experience because it's so illuminating as to what it's like to have to sit with feelings that we feel are not accessible or not we're not able to express or allowed to even like yeah. there's permission. And when you speak of the body, you know, I know that feeling so well, I've, you know, I've had times where I'm so angry that I start to shake. We've all had that. And it, I can, it's like this, this weight on my shoulders. It's like, there's something like, I just can't hold this frustration and anger and you feel so uh, hopeless and helpless in that state because you don't really, you're just, and, and it makes sense to me that this has come up I, your experience. I've heard from multiple people because of everything that's gone on since we shifted into 2020, <laughs> this mm-hmm. definitely is a quite interesting to say the least. Um, but it, everything's coming to the surface and it, people are having to look at it and they're having to say, this is my story. And this is my experience. And it, I felt like no one has really cared and no one, and I've been, I haven't been able to step out of this label or this experience that I didn't ever really maybe want, or that I could never do anything about. And those things, when they, it's like, as we're kind of talking about, it's like a dormant wound that starts to kind of shake like a volcano and starts to erupt. And it's finally, you're like, I have to let out how frustrating this is and how painful it's been to, you know, have this sort of put on me and there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad that there's rage rooms. I didn't well, know about those. There's <laughs> rage rooms, you know, there are rage rooms. And I think, you know, it's, if it's not always accessible, I mean, when I, another thing that I learned about it is like, if it's not always accessible, you know, to make the appointment, get to the rage room. Okay. That's all the way in Sacramento. And I live in Palo Alto or whatever, or San Jose, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I, I just developed an appreciation. And I say this with caution uh, I say this with care to anyone listening. It, we, it's never a reason to be harmful to ourselves or to anyone else or to any other creature. I do think it's important that we be okay with like, sometimes you just need to like destroy something. I mean, you just kind of do, you know? So whether that means that you're like taking paper and like ripping it to pieces with your hands or if I know I, in my little... I have a clutter corner, like we all tend to, where there's like something that's that's broken that I just haven't managed to get to the waste management facility. You know, take a freaking hammer to it, man. Just just do it. <laughs> like I have an old hot water kettle that doesn't work anymore. Like, you know, I go office space. On the yeah, go office space because it, it, it's funny. It kind of, but it, there's. I think it's important that we allow for that. Like it is okay. Cause I, I, I myself, I, you know, a previous version of me could get very, very startled by someone just being a little like, you know, slamming their fists on the table or something. And I used to think, Oh, you're just like, what is wrong with you? You can't control yourself. And now I'm like, you know what? I mean, 
you don't want to hurt yourself or hurt anyone. But sometimes if you need to freaking slam your fist on the table or I don't know, I say that again with care, slam it on a pillow so you don't hurt yourself or damage the, you gotta sometimes throw, throw those forceful, you know, I, I dance as well. And I think dancing mm-hmm drumming is drums people who play the drums play the drums get it get a set of drums get like because banging on something and with rhythm mm. it's powerful yeah it's really powerful and I I I, I have I, and I'm sure that's like a very like uh duh to a lot of people out there but for someone like me who really and I, I think there are a lot of people like me who just were like no that's not allowed that's ugly behavior that's hurtful behavior that's scary someone's going to get scared, you know, it's revelatory. Like, Oh yeah. And there's nothing more soothing than rhythm and dance because you truly start to feel that that rhythm is within you, which I think is like a Gloria Esteban song, but (laughs) you feel the rhythm, right? It's like you, 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 with, especially with drumming something, because it's so ancient, the, the practice of drumming and just building that rhythm. And, and because then you, f- you start to move with the rhythm and you start to feel that rhythm within you. And it really connects you with your essence and your connectedness that you're not just this human. You're all, you also are a rhythm. You're an expression, you're an energy. And man, there's nothing like that to just feel both in your body, but also outside of yourself at the same time and sort of release that pent up tension and frustration, just let it all out. I've been really drawn to that kind of like really expressive dance lately where I just, I have certain parts of my body that just have to move like in a certain way. And I'm just, whatever it looks like, I just do it with my blinds closed or not. Could do, I, you know, last night I was up on the top of a hill dancing under the full moon and Mm -hmm. it was amazing because it's, I mean, that's just so primal just to, you know, I took off my dress and there was no one around. So I just danced on Mm -hmm. under the full moon and it was just so you just so liberating and freeing to see how your body wants to move. It's almost like checking, you recognize that your body also has wants and needs, yeah. you know, cause so often we try to take the control of the ship and we want to manage everything, but you know, our body wants to work things out, yeah. you know, just like our emotions want to be worked out and our mind wants to be able to work things out yeah. sometimes too much. So, yeah, but yeah, I hear you. And I just love that. And, and also on the note of, destruction. I mean, we've talked so much about having to dismantle and unravel and that's could be called destruction. You, when you let something that once was go. And I also, you know, came to mind, isn't there a goddess of destruction? Isn't there an an ancient? Oh yeah. Like in all, in all cultures, actually across the board, there's always, there's like in, in the cyclical nature of life, there is, you know, the death rebirth, like there's birth life, death, rebirth, that's the moon cycle, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the the new moon, the dark moon is the sort of death rebirth. And so of course, yeah, like in, uh, in, in Hindu, in the Hindu pantheon, a very popular goddess of sort of disillusion, disillusion means dissolving. Mm -hmm. And it's another word, but yeah, we know about the goddess Kali. Yes, Um, Kali, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. So she's often seen, she's often seen with, uh, you know, sort of Flood, uh, fangs and blood and kind of like this sort of raw primal yeah just tear it apart tear it all down so that the, the rebirth can happen you see that you see you know the dark moon I mean new moon the new moon is kind of considered or the dark moon is considered in also around like 
let's who is it the goddess of the dark like i think there's like sek sekhmet in egyptian um in the egyptian pantheon i know in yoruba which is in africa in the yoruba culture which is one of the cultures of africa nigeria there's oya she's also the orisha of you know destruction dissolving kind of again in wisdom practices across and and you know you, we mentioned drumming there's a really good book called when, when when women were the drummers because like a lot of priestess traditions early timeless but ancient priestess traditions you know they were the drummers because this rhythm it was a way to sort of embody that like bang it out break it down and you talked about getting from inside getting outside of myself what we're doing is actually opening it so that like inside and outside are one and the same. That's the union. Again, that's all one, there's a oneness to that, right? When we break down the barriers that are keeping us separate, we are arriving in union. That's the divine union union, which is the ultimate sort of liberated state, obviously, but um, <laughs> final destination. Yeah, the final destination. So, so yeah, so, you know, but this, this notion of destruction and disillusion is one that is exalted in many cultures. It is. Mm. It's a recognition, particularly cyclical cultures or uh, spiritual traditions that move in the rhythm of like the cyclical nature of being. There's this recognition that like there's no real beginning or end. There's like birth life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, life, death. Like, and, and that's, that can happen many times in our lifetime. That's a relationship can be a cycle, a particular period of life, a stage of life, a season. So if we don't embrace the, the dissolving, we can't really have the, the true evolving. Um, yeah. There's no way around it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go through each each season even though sometimes we do not want to we don't want to be in that that time of things disillusion but sometimes we do you know sometimes it's such a gift that certain things in, in our life fall apart or fall away and we find something so much more beautiful on the other side mm-hmm. and I think we can all see where that is happening again at a more higher macro level you know mm-hmm. in the bigger picture there's cracks beginning to show of that falling apart of the way that things have been for a long time, but are no longer working and a new season is coming. Yeah. Which is exciting. I I can't wait. I know. It's people like you. you, And I would consider myself as well, who are beginning to usher that in. Yeah. Through the work we do, through the things we talk about, through this vision and this focus we have, you know, to have your focus be on evolution, you can't help but be, you know, encouraging people to see things in a new way and to always be growing, growing, reaching, reaching. And that's really powerful and impactful. Yeah. 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 And it's good we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I feel like we could talk for a very long time. I know that you also incorporate some energy work and hypnosis in what you do have you found that to be an an advantageous in terms of when people when you have clients that are really trying to get to these deep held wounds these 
you know, the wounded feminine, the wounded masculines that you work with, do you sometimes pull in big guns, if you will, or the alternative guns, or maybe we won't say guns, the different (laughs) means of getting to those because man, you know, trauma can be tough to address at times. It can be tough to really get to those wounds. So do you, do you utilize sort of different means? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I find that, you know, talking, talking is an important part of it. It's, it's often an entryway and it's the, it's the one that a lot of, a lot of people, particularly in Western culture are very comfortable with. Interestingly (laughs) in like South Asian culture, because I've done some work in India, it's like, you don't talk about these things, but movement and dance and music are much more accessible. For us here in the West, we start with talk, but then there is really just a limit to where that can go because at some point we just start to repeat or regurgitate the same kind of stories. And so oftentimes that, that's kind of where um, hypnosis, I'm also trained in Hakomi and uh, you know these modalities that incorporate that activate sort of the parasympathetic nervous system rather than the sympathetic mm-hmm. so when we're talking we're in this very active mind and active place of like this is what happened and, this is, and my logic and my reasoning are are here with me really loudly and clearly i'll use i'll draw on the more energetic the energetics you know uh, uh, whether it's hypnosis whether it's a meditative practice a breath practice sometimes i do body movement practice i'll incorporate yogic I had one of my clients doing, we were doing like yogic squats the other day because <laughs> we just really needed to ground and center and we needed to like get like down into the earth and come back into the body down. So I, I bring that in. Once we know the story, once I'm well acquainted and, and my, my, the person I'm working with feels a sense of trust and safety that I know, and I'm going to, I'm not going to dismiss. Usually the kind of re- repetition of the story is because the person has just felt so, has felt dismissed or not valued or not valid. Their story has been invalidated. So there needs to be a place where that is shared and, and, and held and honored. But once we have that, if we're just going around in circles in it, we just kind of are re-traumatizing or staying there. So the evolution can happen when we begin to now drop into different intelligences that we have. There's the intelligence of the brain and the mind, but the body, the intuition are, um, has, has this profound intelligence. And so I might then do a hypnotic induction which would just mean we drop into a very deeply uh, relaxed state where we can suspend the like hardcore filters of the mind and the logic. We suspend its like hard grip on us a little and it's this more spacious place um, to then access. Sometimes we are accessing information or knowledge from that place and that can look like, you know, let's, what is a sensation that you are aware of in the body? How does this sensation live in your body? Does it have colors? Does it have textures? And how do you relate to it? Sometimes it might be that we want to go, we want to go into a place that feels peaceful, whether it's a peaceful memory, because sometimes people are like, I don't even know. I don't know. I think I've ever been happy. So we want to like invite. What is it? What was the time? I mean, it might've been just like having an ice cream on a sunny day when you were nine, nine, you might have that. We can bring that memory to the forefront and, and start to give attention to those things so that we can fill up 
the experience when you bring you bring forth the memory and then you notice how the body feels and then you connect like oh this kind of thought that i'm having in my mind with this incredible sensation in my body and we've just forged connections mm. and and strengthened and reinforced them so that they become a state it becomes a state that can be accessed more and more and so i like to get to that as quickly as possible, you know, usually when I start with a new client, we might, some, some people are ready to go there and they come for that. So we might start right there in the beginning. Some people, we need a few sessions to just like give voice. Let's give voice, let's honor it and give voice. Absolutely, 100%, I'm here to listen. And then we're gonna drop in. And um, for me, like most of my sessions, almost all of them, Unless someone like, okay, today I just really need to talk. I get some of those, you know, like this thing happened and yeah. I just need to do it. Yeah. And I don't want to do any meditation. <laughs> like I get some people that are like, I don't want to do any of that stuff today. But for the most part, almost every session, we're going to do something where we just drop into the body because that's where I, that's how I see like these subtle ways that we kind of cultivate that practice is how the evolving also starts to happen because now they're developing these bridges, they're developing this connective circuitry to access those states more and more and more so that there's like, they're gonna naturally, you know, on a, on a like two days or three, maybe it's three days before a therapy session and they want, they have something that they've been triggered about. They're going to possibly more quickly reach for like, okay, wait, I'm going to listen to a meditation or I'm going to listen to some drumming music and like move my body, or I'm going to do some tapping, EFT tapping. I do that. I will teach that too. You know, any of these things, now they have different tools that they can use. And it usually involves, I'm going to do this, you know, this particular repetitive movement that Ramona taught me um, for three minutes, like, you know, yeah, anything like that, that I can give them and that they practice now there's a more whole way of being because they're accessing the different intelligences. Absolutely. What a beautiful approach you have. Mm. I can imagine how impactful you are for your clients. Thank you. Yeah. So if people are interested in connecting with you, mm-hmm. how can they find you? Yeah. Um, th- so the best is probably my email, which is Ramona, my first name, um, R-O-M-O-N-A at my website, which is therapytoevolve.com. The website is also a good place, you know, www.therapytoevolve.com. Yeah, I can be sure to leave leave you with, with all of that if you want to put it yeah. in. And we'll put those in the, the show notes yeah. so people can can check you out. And do you, do you do any work that's not therapy? Do you do any energy work? Do you do any sessions that aren't necessarily long-term therapy related? Um, not in a one-on-one way. I mean, I run retreats. I have led retreats at 1440. Um, I, you know, I'll, I, I'll, which will include usually some, some form of meditation movement. And I like to, I like to draw on storytelling. So I mentioned some, like some of the goddess mythologies of different cultures I find very interesting and fun and sort of insightful. So you know, I'll lead sort of sessions like that. It might be a two-hour workshop on a Saturday afternoon, or it might be a weekend retreat. Um, so it's in forms like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, more to come. I, I'm hoping 
to develop a little bit more content that might have some videos and, and things like that, that people can access these things to just follow along if they're interested, but that's still in development. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, I'm so excited to see what you develop in the coming months, years, and to see how you evolve. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Us together. Yeah, <laughs> us together evolving from our, our therapy perch and see where we grow from here. Yeah. 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 Well, this is such a, I mean, even you, thank you for creating this forum and, and it's been, you know, you've had some really interesting guests and I'm, I'm excited to follow along. Yeah. <laughs> to join them. Well, thank you so much for being a guest, Ramona. It was really fun talking with you and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. Me too. Me too. All right, Ramona, take care. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.